We're just a barrel of laughs here. Um, and last, only because of the savage cruelty of the alphabet. Get that? Okay. There we go. Thank you. Is Laura Scandera Trombley. She's the president of Pitzer College by day and a dissector of Mark Twain by night. A bit of a disclosure, I profiled Laura for the LA Times a few weeks back. It was a lovely lunch. Thank you. Um, a noted Twain scholar, uh, Laura has been instrumental in getting the Twainiacs, for lack of a better word, to reassess their presumptions about the role of women in Twain's life. Her new book, her fifth, is what brings us to our table today, Mark Twain's Other Woman, about Twain's relationship in the last decade of his life with his personal assistant, Isabel Lyon. So what we have here are biographers of Twain, the national treasurer, Carver, something of a midwife for the modern short story, and Kessler, the zealot of international letters. I'd like to, and this is the last scripted thing you're going to hear, I promise. Um, I'd like to launch us off with a question for Carol. Uh, large collections of Twain and Kessler's papers and letters are, are accessible in different archives. But as you note in your book, most of Carver's papers and letters are scattered to the winds. How hard was it to reconstruct his life? Uh... I did read a lot of his letters, but I had to get them from the people he'd written the letters to, for the most part. And uh, those were the same people I was interviewing, so it was a long process, but not impossible. Yeah, fascinating. A, a lot harder than going they to an archive and open place, files. But then I yeah. didn't have to just live in one library all the time yeah, either. That's true. Um, did you have, find anybody who was uh, balky about letting you have access to the letters? Uh, Yes, I wrote the book without the uh, cooperation of Carver's estate, so I had to work carefully yeah. with the material that I found. Yeah, um, without getting into too much bloodletting, why was that? Uh, or as much bloodletting as you want. <laughs> the book's out. You know, when you write about someone who has not been gone that long, that's going to be an issue because survivors are still alive and they're all protective of their own version of the person. So, Were they concerned about how you're going to treat Carver? I would suppose so. Mm. Uh, I think I treated him pretty fairly and that's what mm. others have said, but I'm sure that's the original concern there. Right, right. And it's kind of hard in the, in the beginning of a project to, to make that clear to people. So. Right, you can tell what your great intentions are, but... Yeah. I want to see the result. <laughs> yeah. How much cultivation of sources did you have to do? I mean, did you have to talk people into this, or were they pretty, pretty open and giving? I started talking to people that knew Carver as a child and people that knew his parents and uh, tried to work chronologically. So people tended to hand me along to someone else. And at each stage, I had to talk people into it. Uh, yeah. But as Carver became more famous then I was meeting people who were more famous too, so I had to win them over a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, you seem to have had the best of both worlds. I mean, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, well Kessler's, Kessler's letters are available in archives, right? Yes, yeah. that's true. And there, yes. and there were also people still alive that you could interview. Yeah, uh, yes. Um, a lot of the people I interviewed, alas, are not alive any longer. Uh, but that archive was a, you know, a double-edged sword because there are over 160 boxes full of documents. Uh, yeah, can we get you all to lean into the microphone so they can hear you in the audience? Yeah, is they're, that, they're, yeah they're pretty sensitive mics. You've got to get up right up on them. Is that better? Okay, sorry. I was saying that this uh, archive that Arthur Kessler left behind him was a double-edged sword because there were something like 160 boxes crammed with papers in the archive. And I spent, I can't tell you how many months, they may have added up to years, and 
Edinburgh, often a very cold Edinburgh, um, <laughs> going through these, and even I, and I think I've certainly gone through more than any living person, uh, even the archivist there, didn't get to the very end of them. Uh, but I did get, I certainly got through all the boxes of personal letters. And yes, because I was authorized, I was asked by the uh, literary, what's he called? The um, executor? Yes, executor, thank you. Uh, we all work to, with words. To, to write this book, I had access to a lot of people who had known him, um, notably the twin sister of his second wife, Mamain, that... Uh, um, they were identical twins, so she could practically tell me what Mamain had been thinking. Mamain uh, was dead by then. And I also managed to track down his first wife, whom he had met and married in uh, France in, 19, in, about, in 1936. Uh, so, uh, yes, I was, I was uh, very lucky in finding a lot of people alive.